The epistle is from Hebrews chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can the man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and endure the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, this morning's texts share a common, outward-directed concern, which could, could be spoken of in the most general terms as this. How do we live toward others? Right? It's not that common, I think, that we have Old Testament readings for, uh, from the book of Proverbs. And if you read through the book of Proverbs, it's like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, and also don't do this. Right? It's really kind of laser-focused on how we are to live in the sight of God and in the sight of others. Now, we heard similar things about how we are to live in Hebrews, and also our Lord gave instructions for how we are to live. And in the church, we try to let the gospel reading predominate on Sundays as, well, they generally contain the actual words and deeds of our blessed Lord himself. So let's narrow the focus somewhat from just a concern for how we live to something more uh, specific. The main point that Jesus is trying to get across in the gospel this morning is this. Take opportunities to both humble yourself and do good to others. And I think once this is in focus, the other readings ring out almost more in tune with each other than they were before. Proverbs 25 verses 6 and 7 might sound familiar. Maybe Jesus was actually quoting this. It says, don't put yourself forward in the king's presence 
or stand in the place of the great, for it's better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Take opportunities to humble yourself and let others exalt you, right? The psalm for the 12th Sunday after Pentecost, which we do not have actually in our service folder this morning, starts like this. It's only three verses long. It's real short, but I'm not even going to read the whole thing. Just the first two for you. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Now, the greatest wealth of instructions for the Christian life of all of our readings this morning is in this morning's epistle lesson. And that's where the sermon today is going to focus on the reading from Hebrews. But let's get this straight from the start. Good works, living in obedience to God's word, does not save you. If it could, what did Jesus die for? So it's not the case that good works merit anything for us in terms of our justification before God. But good works are the fruit that demonstrate that faith is alive in your heart. So your faith in Jesus is alive when you cling to him as your only hope for salvation and a clear conscience in this life. Now, we've got, I think, a firm grasp on what that means between us and God. But what does that mean between me and you? or you and your neighbors, or all of us, generally speaking, and society. Hebrews 13, at least the first oh, half of it or so, gives us kind of a Christian social ethic, you could say. There are six things we're commanded to do in these first verses from Hebrews 13. Now, I'll rattle them off here for you. We're commanded to practice brotherly love, to show concern for other Christians, to keep the marriage covenant pure, to avoid covetousness, to focus on eternal things rather than temporal ones, and to present the worthy sacrifice of praise and confession as opposed to just going through religious motions. These things taken together, they constitute a guide for us as we live in a world that so needs the hope and love and light of Jesus Christ. Recall that, that song that maybe you were taught as a child. We are not to uh, hide our faith under a bushel. No. Right? I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. So once the music ends and the warm fuzzies dissipate and the rubber meets the road and we're confronted with our frustrating friends, our family members, our circumstances, or whatever else is going on. What does it look like to let our light shine? It looks like humility, love, hospitality, sexual purity, contentment, true devotion to the Lord and his church, and all the rest. It doesn't look so much like, well, I think we have maybe come across a lot of this. You're blessed maybe if you haven't. It does not look like waging the culture war from your keyboard on social media. You know what I'm saying? It looks like humility and love and patience and understanding. 
not doing things to own the libs or own the conservatives or you know, whatever the fight of the day is. That's not the life we're called to as believers. Now, that all sounds like a lot, right? Wow, obedience with brotherly love and hospitality. And I mean, maybe if we, if we have a stranger in for, for dinner or you know, somebody who's really down on their luck, that person might be an angel. That's what Hebrews 13 says. Some, by practicing hospitality, have entertained angels without even knowing it. Abraham turned out to be the host for the Trinity, the triune God in Genesis. He didn't know it at the time, but three, three came to him, and quick, they made some bread and cakes, and they got some almonds and yogurt and all that kind of stuff. Keeping the marriage covenant pure, not just in our actions, but in the way we talk, in what we advocate for, the kind of jokes we tell, avoiding covetousness. That is a tricky one, isn't it? Because a lot of the times, maybe when we're idle, it feels like we're content. But, man, if we just had a little more money, if I just had a little more of this or a little more of that, or, man, if, if, this, uh, if I had a new washer and dryer, man, my laundry would just do itself, wouldn't it? Well, I think we all know that doesn't really work out that way. You know, nobody golfs like Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus when they spend a bunch of money on clubs. That's just buying the stuff doesn't get you there. This would be impossible for us if it were not for our God. Remember, our God justifies us. He does all the work to make us pure and holy and blameless in his sight. And he is not now going to have begun something in us by the Spirit and command us to finish it by our own works. Hebrews 13 reminds us that we are not on the hook for all of this ourselves, or really for any of it ourselves. Hebrews 13.12 says, Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So God himself has given us life through Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. What, what can people do to me? God himself strengthens us with the promise of his presence. What can we not face down with the promise of God being for us? Hebrews 13, 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And 10 verses later, in 1317, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, the humorous thing that comes to mind there is be careful what you write to put into that comment box for the church, right? It says... Let your leaders, let your pastors keep watch over your souls with joy. Let your DCE watch over your souls and the souls of your children with joy, not with groaning. For what does that profit you? But it says in scripture, those who aspire to teach, those who aspire to be leaders in the church, have to give account not only for their own lives, but for their ministries as well. This is a serious business. 
But even all that aside, the bigger thing here is that God provides all of us helpers. It's not just pastors, ordained or commissioned church workers. It's parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles, people in your lives to speak to you the word of God, either by actual scripture or by loving you in a way that demonstrates the love of God revealed to us in the gospel. God doesn't leave us all alone to figure this out. In summary, God himself equips us for this life. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It's not in the reading and it's not printed for you. But it says this. Now, after having said all of that, all of these commandments for a Christian social ethic, all of these things about what God has done for us, Jesus suffering outside the gates, let us also go to him and bear the reproach he endured. Let us offer up a good, pure, sincere sacrifice of praise and confession. And it says this, Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a candidate. I think you could end every church service with that. I mean, what is, what is, what is missing there? The works of God, the resurrection, the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, the eternal covenant, God equipping us with everything we need to do his will as we go out back to our lives. And this reminder that God, he doesn't just equip us with everything we need to do his will. He works in us while we are unaware, just through the everyday rhythms and routines of our life. It's not just mountaintop experience after mountaintop experience. In your working, in your farming, in your nursing, in your raising your young children, in your card playing with your friends, in everything you do that God has called you to, he is working in you what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, who gets all the glory forever. Can we say amen to that? Can somebody just say amen? Amen. amen. Thank you. Yes. I mean, it's in the Bible there. You just finished the scripture reading, if you want to think of it like that. So let me close by reminding you now, once again, let's get the order of operations right. Our obedience to God's word by no means precedes our faith. God creates faith in our hearts and from that faith springs our obedience, our desire to even be obedient. And even that, once that is all in place, it does not earn for us a place in heaven. And I'm going to reference three different sources here for you. First is scripture. The second is the Lutheran confessions. And the third is St. Augustine of Hippo, who was a pastor and theologian in the church. And today, August 28th, is the day of his commemoration. And that's not going to fall on a Sunday again for like at least a decade. So I'm going to take my chance today to quote Augustine on his commemoration day. So, scripture, James 1.22 says this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. To hear the word and not do it, God says that's self-deception. James goes on to say that's like, Looking in a mirror at your own face 
and then turning around and immediately forgetting what you look like. That's absurd, isn't it? But he says, whoever looks into God's perfect law, the word of truth, the words of eternal life, and then turns around and doesn't do them, how, how, does, that, how does that even happen? James chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? The implied answer there is, it's no good. He asks another question that he doesn't answer explicitly. He says, can that faith, faith without works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled. God bless you, brother. Without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? In Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. That is, fulfilling the Old Testament laws and prescriptions and commands. None of that means anything. Only this means something. Faith. Working through love. Faith working through love. That's what counts. Now, the Lutheran confessions tie these things together. This is from the epitome of the formula of Concord. We believe, teach, and confess. Very Lutheran start to this, isn't it? That the contrition that comes before justification and the good works that follow it do not belong to the article of justification before God. Us feeling a crisis over our sin and good works following our justification are separate from God actually working alone to justify us and make us pure and holy. But after a person has been justified through faith, then a true living faith works by love. Galatians 5, 6. Good works always follow justifying faith and are surely found with it if it is a true and living faith. Faith is never alone. Right? We say saved by faith, by faith alone. But faith is never alone, but always has love and hope with it. And now finally from St. Augustine. Even back in his day, in like the 400s, clarity was needed on this topic, the relationship between faith and good works. And he wrote and preached on this at great length. And I found, I think, maybe the best little nugget for us as we close the sermon here. He says, this question, the relationship between faith and good works and our eternal reward in heaven, he says, it seems to me to be by no means capable of solution unless we understand that even the good works of ours, which are rewarded with eternal life, belong to the grace of God because of what is said by the Lord Jesus Without me, you can do nothing. Remember, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Even the good works of ours, which are recompensed with eternal life, belong to the grace of God. So again, we are not on the hook for any part of this. It is all of God's grace. So this week, friends... Brothers and sisters, and always, remember that the obedience that the Lord commands is something he gives to you by his grace. The reward for that obedience is therefore also by his grace. 
He works within us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. For his glory, for the joy of us, our neighbors, and the world. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.